0: Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, Episode 48, Season 4 Review, Character Arcs. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And this is the second part in our Season 4 review. You can listen to the first part in which we talk about Bo and her character arc at drinksatthedoll.com slash 47. We were joined by guest Melanie Killingsworth, who is a writer and filmmaker who works out of Portland. She blogs about TV and film over at melzbells.wordpress.com. That's M E H L S B E. LLS, Melsbells.wordPress.com and she's also writing over at tvkeela.com. In the first part of our season four review, we talked about Bo and her character arcs. In this portion, we're talking about the rest of the characters, Dyson, Tamsin, Lauren, Kenzie, Vex, all those folks. We're talking about their character arcs for the season. So Kenzie this season, first of all, not enough Kenzie. I feel like two seasons in a row, we haven't had enough Kenzie on screen. I'm not sure there's any such thing, honestly. Okay, there's such a thing as enough Kenzie. There's not such a thing as too much Kenzie, but there was definitely not enough Kenzie. <laughs> Fair enough. There was enough Kenzie in season one and season two. There was not enough Kenzie in season three and season four, in my opinion. So Kenzie's big storyline in season four really started at the end of season three, and it's her feeling out of place as a human in the Fae world. And I thought that was sort of an interesting storyline for her this season. I
1: loved the theme. I think as, as Lauren honestly started to find a little more of her place, not that not that it was incredible, but those two characters have always had very similar themes, and Lauren started to find a little more of her own place and got to leverage a little bit of her knowledge against the the Fae Order, as it were. Kenzie was flailing a little bit more. Um, she didn't have as privileged a position as Lauren did this season, and she didn't have um nearly as much of of a grounding with Bo being gone, and so she was really struggling and I thought it was a really fascinating place to take the character kind of a place that's been lurking in the in the background. We also actually got her her actual family to see her actual family to kind of get spelled out what we've sensed for the past three seasons and it was awesome,
2: yeah, I always find it fascinating that exploring Kenzie's insecurities and where she belongs, if any, if at any place in the Fey world, within her mind, within the last season and a half. Um, And it's quite a turn for the character, someone who's outwardly is all one-liners and is quick on her feet and is very resourceful and knows how to survive, that she has this, you know, shell of insecurity really deep down that she can't shake now that she's entrenched in the Fey world and with Beau being gone. Uh, As you said, Melanie, she was really floundering. And, you know, Beau was like her rock. And without her, she really, you know, had to discover new ways to hide her identity. And I I did like the whole idea of her getting powers as long as they were temporary. Um, I don't want her to become Faye. But it it was fascinating how that thread followed through to her and the Massimo storyline and creating a whole problem that resounded all the way to the finale. So... I, again, I always find it fascinating how Lauren never has any of these issues. But Kenzie does, because um, they're just not even... They're different social strata, they're different positions in the Fey world, they're different everything. And I think it's interesting that Bo always claimed Kenzie, but then Lauren finds the idea of Bo claiming her offensive. So, and then the scene where Kenzie finally says, unclaim me because she doesn't want anything to do with the Fey world, but then she's so loyal to Beau, she comes back anyway. Um, I think that's when she finds out that it's not just about where she belongs in the Fey world, but it's about that Bo is her family, and that she's not going to desert her no matter what tragedy she went through uh with Hale and her family and everything and near the end of the season. So it was like... And then, of course, the finale, which just made me sob like a little girl, so... Yeah, it was really fascinating to see her go from floundering without Bo to finding out her purpose in the finale, and figuring out that she had a higher, higher calling. That it was not just a uh, Bo sidekick or whatever. That um, it really was, you know, the literal heart of the of the character of Bo.
1: So literal, so so literal. All of the literalism. I I I like what you, I honestly think there's two really key differences between Bo claiming Kenzie and Bo claiming Lauren. The first is that Lauren has been in the face system for years and she fully grasps what that means whereas when Bo claims Kenzie it's really like, "Oh, I'm going to save your
0: life." Okay, cool. It's 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 just sort of a, a she wants to hang out with Kenzie in this bar and in order to do that she has to claim her. So I was like, "Okay, no big deal. I claim her."
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. But uh, there's a second dynamic which I think is important, which is that Beau and Kenzie have already established within the show that there's no sexual potential, and I think that if you can claim someone that you're going to have sex with, then that becomes hugely problematic, whereas with right. Kenzie right. it's it's a very fam- familial relationship. If you can claim someone that you're actively having sex with, be it her claiming Lauren or Dyson claiming her, or, or whatever, then that raises a whole lot more issues, which is why I'm really glad they never introduced Hale-Claiming Kenzie, because mm-hmm. I feel like that would have been wildly problematic. Oh, I never right. thought of that.
0: Yeah, I-, I was glad they never went there as well, because, yeah. Ooh, yeah.
3: Yeah, Bo-Claiming Kenzie always felt kind of like adoption.
0: <laughs> yep. it's
3: so,
2: good. Well, yeah. to me, I wanted it to come up more, because I wanted it to know if it would ever really be an issue and the fact that it became so that it was such a serious scene when she asked her to unclaim her, I'm like, finally, you know, Kenzie's bringing it up and it's dawned on her what it means. We're well, not dawned on her, but, you know, it's just, it has bigger repercussions.
0: So let's talk a little bit about Kenzie's relationship with Hale. That was a, a big storyline for her as well. And I I really wish we had gotten more of 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 that we you know they're really only together for a couple of episodes and i i I don't know i it felt like they'd been building to that since at least the end of season one and then it, it there wasn't a heck of a lot of of payoff for the fans i don't think
1: yeah i don't know if it ended up being the actor wanting to expedite things or if they just really needed something to add a little bit of heft or if they felt like it would honestly be worse having them be in a relationship for a long time before they killed Hale off, but it it definitely was something that had been teased or had been sitting around the periphery for quite a while. And uh, I personally hold the opinion, and please don't throw rotten vegetables at me, that the Hale's death really worked for the show. Um, but I, it was certainly very sudden, although as soon as he proposed, it, his fate was kind of sealed. But it was both his proposal and his death followed far quickly than I thought they would.
2: I don't know. I think there's been... I love going back into the series and seeing all the moments where I can see why there have been kale shippers throughout the show. So it was really nice for me, personally, to see that relationship culminate as when Kenzie says to Hale, I've always been here. Um, and then she wears this hat, which is so cute. Um, but yeah, it was too quick. I would have liked to have seen it develop a little bit more.
0: Cause if you think about it, they, they got together at the end of 406, at the end of all the gin joints. And then Hale wasn't in La Faya Poke. Well, yes, he was. Sorry. He was in La Faya Poke, but there wasn't a whole lot of, of Hale Kenzie moments. They were mostly focused on Dyson. There was a little bit at the bar at the end. In, they were coupley and super cute, I thought, in Groundhog Faye, and that's where they, you know, sleep together. And then Hale isn't in Destiny's Child, he isn't in Waves, and then he's an end of a line yeah. and he dies. He proposes and he dies. So that was a very, very short relationship that they got to have. So it seemed like Hale's death was really more for Kenzie's storyline than Hale's storyline because if we if we look at Kenzie's storyline trajectory with her sacrificing herself at the end of the of the season Hale's death is a a big factor as to why Kenzie can do that so you know fairly easily.
3: Well, if you think about it, Hale's entire storyline this season was about getting together with Kenzie.
0: Mhm.
1: I think Hale's death was was definitely pragmatically speaking Uh, more for the show's sake than Kenzie. But I think to have him die without having gotten together with Kenzie after teasing it for three and a half seasons would have actually been more cruel than what we ended up getting. The whole, you know, it's better to have loved than lost, or, you know, it's better to have had 87 tries at having sex the same way than to have never loved at all. But yeah, I really think, like, the show was going to go there, and for the show to have gone there without... Letting him kind of express all of his feelings for Kenzie and let that having come to a realization after three and a half seasons would have just been super cruel.
0: Well, it was cruel enough, so 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 why do you think that that Hale's death was was more for the show than for Kenzie, Mel?
1: Uh, I feel like uh, <laughs> again, with the pragmatism, it's been two seasons since we've had a even semi-significant character die and I feel like the show really wanted to raise its its stakes and prove that nobody was immune, and they did that. I also, I'm not sure whether or not budget and or actor-wise that he needed to be released from his contract. I have no idea whether that not that's the case. But if you're going to raise the stakes from your core uh, five, six original characters, Hale is absolutely the one who makes sense.
2: Well, I agree with that on on the sense of the show. It's kind of like the trope of most shows. You know, it's like you get to a certain point in seasons and you're gonna I feel like you're always gonna lose somebody in genre shows. That there's gotta be a risk. You kind of have to. Yeah, it does get you know, you don't want it to get boring, I guess. But I, I really I was just, I just was thinking about next season. I'm all like, Yay season five and then I'm like, am really gonna miss Casey. It'll be different not having him there, so
1: he definitely, as an actor and as a character, kind of brought a suave calmness to the whole thing that none of the other characters were really able to imbue the show with. So
0: So Mel, you think that the, that, that Hale's death was kind of necessary for the show to kind of prove that they have you know things are serious, there's stakes to in this world. Everybody's not going to be okay hundred percent of the time. I think somebody's death was necessary, and I think Hale's death made the most sense. And I understand your point about how Hale's death served the show, allowed them to up the ante, so to speak. But what I meant by Hale's death was more for Kenzie than for Hale was that it was really Kenzie's storyline that led to the circumstances in which he died. Kenzie pursued getting fake powers she got in debt to massimo she gave him the twig of zamora it was her actions that led to him dying and then her guilt over his death was a big factor in her storyline toward the end of the season and his his absence was a contributing factor as to why she was so willing to make this sacrifice for beau at the end of the season so it wasn't really Hale's storyline that led him to die, it was Kenzie's. So that's what I mean by, I feel like he died more for Kenzie than for Hale. So we have that death kind of toward the end of the season. And then at the end of the season, we have we have Kenzie's death. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter being very annoyed with their writers for killing off two two characters in one season. As And I've seen people basically say, you know, you killed my favorite characters. I'm not going to watch the show anymore. And even though I think they made pretty clear that Kenzie's is likely going to come back in season five. It's kind of another reason
1: they had to kill Hale because you can't come back. Yeah, right. Bingo. So one character stays dead. The other character is able to come back. And that kind of continues your suspension of disbelief, if you will, as far as the character's immortality, because they're not immortal because, hey, look, this other character stayed dead.
0: So, but you know, we do have Kenzie sacrificing herself at the end of the season after we've had another character die mid, you know, kind of mid season. Do we, do you think that the group of you do you think that Kenzie's sacrifice was necessary? I've seen a lot of people feel online that that was not a very it wasn't very good treatment of the character, and I'm just kind of curious what you think in regards to Kenzie's death. But she got to die the hero's death, and yeah, she was all noble,
3: and it was like very clearly set up as reversible and provides you plot for season five because season five quest for Kenzie. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. I've never, um, I haven't really read opinions like that, that it hasn't treated the character well, but yeah, I agree with what all of you were saying. It's, and and that, and it's showing that the fallible human is saving them all, you know, that she has a purpose and it was such, again, this, the end to the arc and, And people, you know, that some people are like, she's not in the season five press release. And I'm like, Ksenia will be back. You know, don't worry, people. But this is how suspension of disbelief, this is how genre works. You have the person who stays dead dead. And then you have the person who only stays temporarily dead. But sometimes we, you know, it's kind of hard to tell who. But uh, let's just, you know. To me, it was unexpected, because I knew someone was going to die. And again, I'm the most gullible viewer. I'm like, let nobody die. No, everybody's going to die. Oh, my God, it's Kenzie. You know, I, I kind of had my inklings, but I, it still didn't make the ending any less difficult for me to watch. But it was still, because it was so emotional, to me, that was that was beautiful. You know, I wouldn't be sitting there sobbing. And, it, you know, for it to draw that much emotion out of viewers, you know, you have to up the stakes even more, as you said, Melanie. But it's not permanent, you know. So there's that small comfort, but it just—it was a heroic, beautiful, gut-wrenching ending, and I—I I loved it personally.
1: I—I I simply can't get over the fact that it actually alluded to its own trope when Kenzie was talking about Bo being able to go to the underworld and get her back. Like that's just a level of show self-awareness that I think that the internet has almost made essential, but I simply can't get over how perfect that was. It was both hilarious and really poignant, and it showed a, it really showed how much this show grasps the genre that it's in, and its history, and it was really, that was kind of a brilliant play, where it kind of acknowledged it, and then denied it, but in the back of our head, we know there's always a way around that denial, because that's the genre that this is.
3: Well, and, you know, also the show being self-aware genre-wise, I mean, we started off the – earlier in the season, you know, Kenzie had made reference to, you know, Lil T about watching seasons of X-Files on DVD. So, apparently, Kenzie is an X-Files fan, so, you know, I totally buy that Kenzie would have the entire situation worked out, that, yeah, just have Bo come find me in Valhalla, everything will be fine.
0: Yeah, Kenzie's very pop culture savvy, so it would make sense that she would watch shows like The X-Files and Buffy and things like that. She would have a sense of things can work out in these situations. So I, I, I thought it was appropriate that they gave a little wink and nod to the fact that in genre shows, you can come back from the dead. It is not impossible. Yep. She has a plan.
3: And Leanne says, Kenzie's death was necessary for Kenzie's storyline. She needed to see just how important she actually was. As weird as it sounds, that would have been a massive confidence boost for Kenzie realizing she had a role to play.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I feel like the sacrifice, Kenzie's sacrifice worked really well with her storyline of feeling out of place in the Fae world. This is a moment for her where she recognizes, oh, I do have a part to play. I am important. I'm not just this human who doesn't matter and And could there have been other ways to do that? Yeah, I don't know though if they would have been as powerful as having Kenzie taking control of her life, realizing this is her role in this fight and choosing to do that i I, I feel like that was a really powerful moment for Kenzie so moving on to to Lauren's storyline in season four, she had i I feel like the most interesting. One of the more interesting storylines of of the characters with with what goes on between her and and the Morrigan, I felt like that was a very interesting storyline for Lauren.
2: Chuck the hell out of me.
0: <laughs> I did have a
3: moment of like, are they really gonna go there? <laughs>
1: uh, it was. Uh, I'm watching the episode and every scene, it's like, oh, they're totally gonna go. They're not gonna go. There. Oh, they're totally gonna. No. Oh, they're. To- oh, they went. There. I know. <laughs> It looks <laughs> like they're
3: going to, but they're <laughs> not really gonna do one it. The right?
1: episode is so brilliant, mm-hmm. like the
0: the quadruple fake out, if you will, <laughs> and then you know we have it in the way that it emerges at the end of the season. it really becomes about Lauren and sort of her ethical nature, and that's become that was a big storyline for her in season three, and they're revisiting it again in season four and and I like that they kind of are are toying with. Lauren's ethics. Well, while, while I want her to be an ethical person, I do like that they kind of tested her in that regard in this season.
1: Every single character in this show will compromise their ethics when it comes to somebody they love, like Period will mm-hmm. stop.
3: But then we're also in the murky territory of is it really unethical if the person that is that they're taking action against is basically a Serial murderer?
1: Yes, right. because the action, no. when it's being taken, there is no serial murder going on, and the person is in a very compromising slash vulnerable, position, vulnerable, position, vulnerable yeah. position. right? Exactly, which is why it's great because it is super gray and murky and and convoluted, and it's wonderful. And I, I loved what they did.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I really liked Lauren's Lauren storyline, and I and I really liked. The beginning part where we see her on the run and, like, developing the relationship with Crystal. We won't talk about Crystal for 20 minutes. We already did that. You can go listen to that episode. But I, I did like that little breather for her. I wish that we had seen more of its effects, or more of its apparent effects in the later part of the season, though. It felt like it happened, and then they never talked about it again. Crystal who? Exactly. But yeah, I wish that we had gotten a better sense of how Lauren's little stint on the run from the Fae... Uh, affected her. I mean, I think you can extrapolate some stuff, but there, it kind of gets dropped after Turn to Stone and it, I don't feel like they really revisited it in the, in the latter part of the season, and I wish that they had.
2: Well, I always wonder because now there's, instead of 20,000 things for Beau and Lauren to talk about, there's about 40,000 things. When she was in the Saw room with Crystal, and she drops that whole storyline now about how she knows how to make pipe bombs and that she has a brother and that, you know, X amount of people died. But, you know, not, nothing like that was supposed to happen. And I, that, to me, got dropped. And I was like, oh, crap, Lauren's going to get picked up by the human authorities. One of these days it's going to catch up to her. And
1: We knew she knew how to make pipe bombs from delinquents, though.
0: Mm-hmm. That's an
1: awesome bit of continuity that they had kind of really planted in season three.
0: Yeah, that that that's why, you know, that because people suspected that when she mentioned that she could and delinquents like, oh, does this have to do with the whole Karen thing? And yeah, they came back to it. I honestly thought it just had to do with her
1: being a scientist and being like, oh, yeah, obviously I did that shit in high school, but I didn't.
0: But they ended up bringing it back around in a big way. Yeah, because it could have been either. I, I, too, was like, well, you know, if she's taken enough higher level chemistry classes, of course, she knows how to make a pipe bomb. Mm-hmm. But I like that they came back to it in a big way in this season.
2: Yeah, but I still think there's more to be explored there with the whole Karen Beatty thing, so.
0: I don't I, know. I think they'll come back to it. I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Angela says, not everything
3: has to be said between Beau and Lauren. The chemistry is unwavering despite everything going. Hashtag, they will have each other.
1: Woman cannot live on chemistry alone. It's like... The fact, uh, like, yeah, they've got chemistry, congratulations, but holy crap, the amount of things that they have to say to each other just grow. like, it's one of those things that it just grows and grows and grows, and I think they're both now in the state of, wow, that's a lot of stuff, it's so much easier just to ignore it all, but this is gonna come back, it does, it comes back to bite them every time, and I realize yeah. that we, like, having them on screen processing for 44 minutes is not necessarily <laughs> riveting television
0: but holy crap it is
1: j- Ah,
0: I want to well, shake them they don't them. need to show us all 44 minutes it's they start to talk cut 23 months later they're finally <laughs> wrapping things up <laughs>
2: want them to talk a little bit and not do the classic trope of every time we talk, we're going to get interrupted. Because they've already done that several times you know, throughout the series and in season four.
1: But Annie, every time they talk, they end up having sex. Aren't you okay with that?
2: (laughs) Well, no, because they didn't show it on screen in season four, (laughs) goddammit.
0: Well, my thing about about Bo and Lauren talking, I think maybe what the tweeter is getting at is that there's a lot of chemistry between Beau and Lauren, which means they often don't need to say a lot to convey a lot. And okay, I can get you there. But at the same time, relationship-wise, they need to start talking to each other. And and I kind of wonder, I, I think Mel's onto something good with the idea that there's so much they need to talk about at this point, it's easier to just ignore it. And I also kind of wonder if the fact they've never talked about their very different lifespans, if that might also not be something that's kind of stopping them from having serious conversations. Cause it's like, if we talk about these other things, we're also going to have to talk about this huge potential issue in our relationship that can't be resolved. And I don't know what to say. Well,
2: yeah. I mean, as Bo, it took her until season three to acknowledge, you know, at the Duppy that I'm still going to be around in a thousand years. It's the first time I've ever said that she can hardly acknowledge it to herself, let alone to, one of the humans that she loves the most. So, yeah, that's a big, another big issue. So, but I think that's bigger, that's the biggest issue. It's bigger than the triangle or, you know, Karen Beatty or whatever. It's the lifespan. So, but yeah, I do want the show to acknowledge that between Lauren and Beau in season five. But we have to have the quest for Kenzie.
0: But uh, we mentioned before we we really liked the friendship that she develops with Dyson in in Season 4. And then we also see some evolution in her relationship with Kenzie, though I wish they had gotten more screen time together this season. Me
2: too. Especially after 303, where they finally, you know, came to a truce and realized each other's insecurities about Bo and themselves. And, you know, now it's like, but they didn't get enough screen time together in Season 4.
0: So Dyson in in the season we got some good backstory for him in Lafayette Polk and through a rather interesting device and and I did I did like getting getting that that backstory that we got from him just because it was quite different from the previous backstory we had gotten in Brother Faye of the Wolves. Yeah,
2: I appreciated his the, you see that transition in the scenes with Trick where Trick at first is saying You have a high, you know, you're a noble, a good man, Dyson, you can do more, you have a higher purpose. And, you know, at the beginning he's just like, oh, I'm just a philanderer, i am known throughout Europe, I'm proud of that, whatever. And then what he goes through with Flora, you know, makes him realize at the end, okay, I don't want this to happen, I don't want someone else that I care about to die on my watch, you know, as it was. And to be responsible, to keep this power of the hell shoe. Away from people who would use it for evil intent. So, um, and you know, a lot of fans, myself included, like seeing the moment that Trick and Dyson met.
1: I, I definitely, I mean, I agree with all of that. I also think that for us to get the full weight of Dyson pledging fealty to Bo, we had to first see what it meant for him to essentially unpledge, or at least secondarily pl- place secondarily his fealty to Trick. Um, and they've obviously had a relationship since day one. But for us to really see how that began and what that meant to each of them and et cetera, I thought that was awesome.
0: Yeah, because it, it seemed like the, the fealty that he swore to Trick was based more on what he knew of Trick as the Blood King. Like Trick was offering him an opportunity, but a, a lot of what swayed Dyson to pledge his fealty was was knowing sort of Trick's reputation, whereas with Bo, I felt like it was a very different circumstance that led him to sw- swear fealty to Bo, so I do really like that they gave us both of those moments this season.
1: Yep, and I, I feel like Trick manipulated him a little bit, and I, whereas
0: Trick Beau- manipulative? Never. Oh, right? Right?
1: <laughs> But he pledged to, to Bo of his own accord. Like, he came mm-hmm. up with that. Bo never asked him to. Bo never promised him anything special or said that he was, you know, privileged or destined or any of those other things. And so him, him pledging to trick was a combination of circumstance and a combination of manipulation and a combination of him having gone so long without a pack and all these other things. But him pledging to Bo was much more, um, pure, if you will. Agreed.
2: Do you think Dyson pledging to Bo was more just emotional based, you know, on his feelings for her as opposed to Trick? Like it was just kind of like the way he was going to keep her, Bo, in his life, even if she, you know, even if he was aware that her feelings towards him might not be
1: as deep as they used to be? I'm not sure that I'm answering your question, but, uh, I think that there's, I think there's two different things. I think the fact that he implicitly trusts Bo makes it much easier for him on an emotional level to make that switch, but I also think that there is definitely a level of maturity and understanding that he's come to in regards to Trick. He doesn't, obviously, as we've seen, he doesn't break his bonds easily, but he does break them when he feels that there's a greater injustice, and I feel that his he is saying, look, I don't think what Trick is doing here is right, and I trust you and I trust where you're going much more than I do this other thing that hundreds of years ago I I pledged to.
2: Yeah, makes sense.
3: So there's been a conversation going on on Twitter for the past 50 minutes or so. About uh how do they fix Dyson's only being able to love one person, Beau, wolves mate for life, sad to pretend to love someone else. But they kind of resolved this earlier this season. They had that scene where they basically said the wolves mate for life thing is pretty much in Dyson's head, right?
0: Laveau does say that to Dyson in End of the Line. She she talks about seeing how this whole wolves mate for life thing is, is basically of his own making and it's in his head and so I, I do kind of think that having him swear fealty to Beau is maybe a further extension of them doing a write around of that box that they trapped themselves in. Like they are soulmates in that they're going to walk through life together in this way, but not necessarily uh, like, love-lovers type of thing.
1: I It doesn't translate as well when you're speaking, but I feel like this kind of made a shift to S-O-U-L mates as opposed to S-O-L-E mates. The whole pledging fealty and the whole, like, what Laveau said to him. I don't... And I, I wish they'd gone there when Kiara was around, honestly. But I do feel like that he's going to evolve to the place where either he's okay with sharing her or he's okay with the new level that their relationship's been taken to and it's not going to be like in season 1 he was very possessive and i feel like he's kind of been able to evolve past that which is in general a good thing i'm not and and i'm not trying to say that it's wrong for him to have wanted bow only, but for her being a succubus kind of takes it to another level.
3: I think they did hit the soulmate thing fairly hard this season, especially with the Red String of Fate stuff. So again, being tied together through their lifetimes.
1: I think they're pretty inextricable at this point.
0: Yeah. The only thing that queers the whole red string of fate symbolism is that Cassie was also wearing one, <laughs> and I don't think they're going to throw her in there as a fourth. But I, I do think that was deliberate, this idea that these are the people she that Beau is going to come back to throughout her life is, is both Dyson and Lauren.
3: Mm-hmm. And there was a point that somebody made that, uh, I think it was Laura, made that, um, you know, even if it, it was a life, they sort of wrote in an escape hatch on that because technically Dyson died.
0: That's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. He did Ooh. die and come back to life, so maybe that reset his his soulmate thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's
2: right. Cool. Lauren it's it's all his... Docubus then. Cool.
3: <laughs>
0: his levometer, <laughs> his <laughs> reset. I love that that's 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 like the conclusion that Annie comes to pretty much every 15 minutes. Okay, it's Docubus then.
3: <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs>
0: So in regards to to Tamzin, she had kind of an interesting story arc this season, but it didn't quite evolve the way that I I thought it would. She she had her her rebirth and kind of her her re-childhood as little T and and through that developed this really great relationship with Kenzie, which I think pretty much everybody really seemed to love that bond that developed between the two of them. And and it also allowed Tamson to get to have her character kind of get to I don't know it, it's like Tamson was able to get to like a healthier place in her life in this in this season she, you know last season she was like a heavy drinker and living with a lot of her regrets and I think while the regret is still there she was able to process it in a healthier way because of the relationship she formed with Kenzie and Beau
3: right I think Emily Andrus had mentioned that in one of the TV Guide Canada interviews that Really, the, the big theme with Tamsin, especially in the beginning of the season, is that this time she got to grow up with a healthy family unit, essentially. A loving family.
1: Well, so far as we can tell, her family unit before has pretty much consisted of people who were either manipulating her and or who ended up turning on her and also, you know, for her to carry dead souls to Valhalla. So that's (laughs) it's not necessarily very healthy, but that's a theme that has really been continued. It's a theme that we saw with Kenzie this season, you know, like, whereas her first family was obviously a place that allowed for abuse and emotional manipulation, and now she's finally found this family, and then she, in turn, gets to turn around and be kind of a surrogate mother to Tamsin who has a very similar situation. And it's, I don't know, adorable? is. It's maybe too soft of a word to use, but it really is very, very affirming and heartwarming to kind of see that come full circle. Right, because
0: Kinsey really got sort of a second chance at family when she found Bo and Dyson. And and now she's able to give that second chance to Tamsin as well. It's a, a nice little pass it on type of thing. I thought
1: the reboot was fantastic. I thought it worked really well on pretty much every level. You kind of got to reset her personality, but it got to make sense. You got to see Valkyrie power as opposed to just doubt, but really how it manifests. You got to see, you know, another addition to the theme of memory loss that we saw with Tam but in a totally different way than we saw it with Bo or Dyson or etc. And then she got to forge different relationships than she was able to forge in Season 3 and it really worked. She had this very newborn innocence to her and she was kind of able to recontextualize her relationship with Bo, and I really, really loved what they did with the character
0: and you know last season, Tamsin was really an outsider to our core group, and having the reboot I think enabled them to make her more of a of an insider naturally fairly quickly rather than having to to make it seem very forced mm-hmm right.
1: And uh, the show has shown that they've been able to play the quote unquote long game with it taking Lauren and Kenzie almost three seasons to become friends, and Lauren and Dyson almost two seasons, or almost four seasons, and Kenzie and, or, uh, sorry, and Bo and Tamsin uh, almost a full season, etc. So being able to speed it up will definitely give them that.
0: I also thought it was interesting that we see Tamsin. I mean, she's still kind of younger Tamsin at this point, but she expresses the. Desire to no longer be dark Fay in this season
3: well, I think they hit on that last season where of course they sort of muddied that whole thing too, but I remember at the time we were thinking that you know her part of her envy of Bo was over the fact that Bo was unaligned because she seemed very burdened by the duties to the dark, so I think that's part of where that's coming from is Bo has managed to not be aligned or had managed. So there's that at play.
1: I I definitely took it as not necessarily her anger at being dark, quote unquote, but her danger, her anger and angst at having no choice. <laughs> like, you know, this choice that she made multiple lifetimes ago is kind of still affecting her. And she wants To be able to start over, period.
0: That is kind of not fair (laughs) to, to Fae who have naturally have multiple lifetimes that they're stuck with this choice they made several lifetimes ago. I mean, I guess it's also not fair that, you know, Fae are so long lived and they have to stick with one side or, or the other for their entire long lifespan, but it seems particularly unfair if you get to reincarnate.
3: Doesn't allow for much personal growth, does it?
0: No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: that's nope. That's way too heavy. I would also be driven to drink then if that were the. the hey, the, don't worry. This is going to only affect you for multiple thousands of years. <laughs> Go for it.
0: So I guess the part of Tamsin's storyline that played out really differently than I thought it would is I thought Tamsin would be more involved in what was going on in regards to the Wanderer storyline this season, and she really wasn't like we had the reveal of her relationship or having known trick many, many hundreds of years ago. And the fact that she helped create the wanderer, that was, that was a big reveal, obviously. But I I guess I just, since she had worked, she was really the, a a big vehicle for the wanderer plot in season three. I thought she'd be more involved in that plot in this season.
2: No, we still have the hanging thread of her saying, about Rainer's face, that's not the guy who hired me. That's not my boss, so...
1: Which was 412, right? So if she'd seen him earlier, she kind of would have blown the lid off of everything much earlier. So, I, like, even when she walked yeah. in... Even when she walked into the doll, like, right after... Oh, crap. He- whichever the frick crow it was, like, she didn't he- see him, and I thought that was very intentional. Raven, dagnabbit. You're gonna... Fix it in post, Stephanie. <laughs>
0: I guess that has more to do with the fact that the Wanderer plot didn't really play out exactly how I expected in this season. But I, 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 did think it was interesting how they, they brought in the reveal that Tamsin had something to do with creating the Wanderer as really the chance at Tamsin's redemption. Because we had been told in season three that she did something a long time ago and, and sort of she ended up here because for punishment for, for what she did. And, and I thought it was interesting that that's, that ended up being the thing that allowed for her to, Try to try to redeem herself and and come back from the bad place she was at in season three, so Dyson and Tamzin
1: sitting in a bar stool <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm gonna try to be quiet because I love Dyson and Tamson <laughs> <laughs>
1: again, this is something that I really saw going like she struts into the boxing ring, bets that the other guy can knock him out later in the episode gets into the boxing ring, knocks him out kisses him. I mean, this has been boiling under the surface for a long time. Um, So, yeah, they finally went there. Hoorah.
2: It was just a matter of, I mean, because to me it just seemed like they were really good partners, and I think they worked better as partners as opposed to you know, they were just both really, or Dyson was just both really drunk in that scene. And Tamsin is the kind of person who just kind of lives very in the moment and throws her hands up and goes, okay, you you know, you need to feel better, let's...
1: I don't think it was necessarily a romantic connection at the bar, but I do think that there has been a sexual tension boiling ever since they met.
2: Yeah, that's true, but the question is will it become, will it be addressed in season five, will it have intimacy again, and could it ever become a romantic issue? Of course, the Valkyrie shippers don't want to see that, but um, they've certainly opened that door, and a lot of fans were frustrated that they just dropped it and left it after that episode.
1: <sighs> yeah, I wish they had. I wish they had more overtly had them reference it, like process it. But I feel like the place where both of them were, it where it was like, hey, this is something that we both like, Lost Girl and Noir, which uh, you know, I'm very much a. Tamsin is a noir detective, although that kind of reset the season, whatever. But Lost Girl slash noir is very accepting of sex being for, like, an emotional need, a physical need, a, like, temporary need, a, you know, simply overpowering sexual urges need. And so I don't, I think that they are both grown-ass adults who could kind of accept that thing in the bar for what it was. And they may move on to have a relationship after Whit- but I don't think that it, they necessarily have to.
2: Yeah. I think Stephanie wants it to. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I would not be opposed. I, I, I like Dyson and Damson. I think they're fun. But I don't think they necessarily dropped it. I do wish that they had talked about it more in the direct subsequent episode in, in Origin. They didn't really reference it at all in that episode. But definitely the way that they were acting in in the finale Indicated that yeah. they, you know, they, they they acknowledge the fact that they had sex in in that episode, and that maybe that sort of changed their relationship a little bit. But yeah, I don't know that they necessarily dropped it. However, I, I and and I because I do really think they're going to come back to it in season five. Maybe that's just me being hopeful, but but they I, I do think that they will.
3: But yes, I also like Dyson and Tamson, and think there are interesting story possibilities should they decide to. Continue with that
0: because they're a light and dark fey and we haven't had a a light dark Fay romance, really exactly so I mean, I guess we had Bowen and Dyson fooling around this season, but that was wasn't quite an extended relationship and exploring that that obstacle between the two of them and i I would be interested to see them do that with some main characters have a have a light, dark romance, and explore those boundaries.
3: Leanne says, the fact that the last time you see Dyson and Tamsin in Season 4 is together tells me there will be more of them together.
0: Because I thought it was very sweet when he goes and he fetches her from Valhalla. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: I just think it's funny every time Chris, you and Stephanie, say that you're not opposed to that idea.
0: I'm
2: like, eh, either way. But the poor Valkybus shippers, they get, uh, reading the tweets, I'm like, oh my gosh.
0: Okay. It's going to be okay, guys.
2: I think we'll still have enough for everybody in Season 5.
0: Yeah, the Valcubus people were very upset with the the Tamson Dyson stuff that happened at the end of the season. And and I I can get that. I you know, they they got sort of teased with with Groundhog Fay with the the making out and more overtly sexual interactions between Bo and Tamson this season and then they ha- have Tamson kind of hooking up at, with Dyson at the end of season 4. So I can understand them being being kind of frustrated. I I feel like in this season, they didn't really position Tamsin to be quite the same. What's a good way to put it? Like, when we see Bo debating, like, who should I choose? She's still talking about Lauren versus Dyson. She didn't throw Tamsin in the mix in in Destiny's Child. So I'm not saying that, like, they won't go there with with Bo and Tamsin. But I think at this point, they don't have Tamsin quite on the same level of potential partner as they do... Dyson and Lauren.
3: The dynamic is different. Well,
0: Tamsin said that herself in Groundhog Fae. that, like, You know,
1: and I think that Tamsin there was kind of yearning for it, but she understood that there's not as much of a serious romantic history there, whether she wants there to be or not.
0: Yeah, I'll be curious to see if they do try to develop Bo and Tamsin's relationship more in Season 5, because definitely I think Bo is attracted to Tamsin, but we haven't had as much... Relationshipy stuff between the two of them. So Trick this season, I I really loved getting to see Evil Dictator Trick. I I quite liked. Trick is best when he's bad. Yeah.
2: I thought it was an a hole, but.
1: Well, yeah. He's always been. He has always been
0: total self-absorbed, narcissistic, Machiavellian jerk. It's awesome he was just pretending to be sort of grandfatherly and, and loving. I think he does have like genuine feelings for Bo, but he's a manipulative sneaky little bastard, our trick. And I like that. I think that makes him interesting.
3: I mean, the first episode he's talking about whether or not they're going to have to kill her. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah.
2: well, I mean, where's the history of ha- where that comes from? That he has to be so conniving and manipulative. Is it just to, hide his identity that he's had to do for so long or is it just because when he used his power openly he was just drunk on it for lack of a better word and was so arrogant knowing that he could literally change the future that it just instilled that kind of Machiavellian personality in him having that kind of power. I mean it's almost too much for anybody so it's, you know, you kind of wonder if you turn out that way no matter who you were if you had that kind of power.
1: Are you saying that it's another theme of fate versus destiny versus free will?
2: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating to me to kind of explore the inner workings of Trick and, uh, yeah, like his feelings for Bo are on the surface, but his feelings for self-preservation and manipulation run deeper, perhaps.
1: I think that Trick will always put himself first.
0: I mean, they did
3: pretty much say that at some point.
0: I really liked the the background that we got for Trick this season. I feel like we got quite a bit this idea that he would have been part of the Unamans if he hadn't taken the papyrus seed and run with it. I thought that was really fascinating, this idea of wanting to preserve you know, yes, it is selfish, but I, I do think it's uh, he wants to sort of preserve his sense of self and not become part of the hive mind, and I think that's interesting about him. I liked getting to see the evil de- dictator trick that emerged when he was talking to Dao Ming and she was forcing him to tell the truth. And then I liked what we got to see in, in the flashback of, of evil dictator trick when he was at his height of sort of Machiavelli- Machiavellian power. And I think as a result of all of that we really see Trick kind of losing trust from the group because Bo basically tells him, you know, this isn't cool, what you've been doing. He's, You know, she talks about being mad that Trick hasn't tried to help her recover her memory. You know, Kinsey seems to not really trust Trick, both because of what Samson tells her and probably because of what what Bo has gone through. And we see Tamsin have this memory and see Dyson pledging his fealty to Bo. So we, I, th- I do think we see Trick become more of an outsider this season.
3: So are we going to start calling him a Trick-tater?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God,
2: I hope so. I mean, yeah, because the it seems like the friendly old man that just always had his books and his knowledge and was teaching Bo the ways of the Fae is, is kind of gone. <laughs>
0: But yeah, so I, I did really like the the story development we got with Trick, and I and I hope to see more exploration of that darker side of Trick further. I also, additionally, really liked seeing Rick Allen play uh, fight with a bow staff. I thought that was fun.
2: I tweeted that to Rick, and I said I want
0: more of that. He
2: tweeted it or something.
0: So we also have to talk about Vex. He had a fairly prominent little story arc in in this season. And his was probably the oddest I thought because he starts out in the first first episode really being a antagonistic figure for for particularly Dyson and, and Hale. They have a knockdown out fight in the premiere, but then by mid season he's kind of like Bo's pet and he's all harmless and kind of neutered. So it was a little weird to see him go from being a very sort of, like, antagonistic figure to being incorporated into the group so easily. He weirdly dodged a bullet
1: because he promised the Unamens that he would deliver presumably Lauren? I think the camera was kind of ambiguous as to whether it was Lauren or Kenzie. I think it supposed to be Bo. Or, Bo. or Bo. Right, I think, like, it ended on Bo, but it was a little bit weird. Um, And he kind of dodged a bullet in that he didn't actually end up having to. And so I think that not ultimately having had to follow through with that um, enabled him to kind of get welcomed back into the fold, although I do think it was too easy. But he he really plays this whole, like, tortured soul card, and
0: they all kind of, all right, fine. <laughs> yeah, because he contacted Cleo about nabbing Bo, and that's why she tries to nab Bo, but that falls through. But I don't think it ever comes back that that's why she tried to to take Bo at the end of, of Lovers Apart. Right, she just mm-hmm. dies. She doesn't die. She's... Well, she gets her neck snapped. No, she doesn't no, she get she her doesn't. neck snapped. <laughs> Bo Cheese sucks her.
2: Collapses. Yeah. Dice and Bo keep walking on, which I found hilarious. Kind of sad. Her,
3: me and Kirshner. She could have gotten run over, we don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that never came back to, to Vex, and so when there's the whole hand-removal plot going on in, in episode five, Bo is all, You really think we're we're your family. And so then he gets invited back into the fold pretty easily.
3: That was quite the impressive costume in the first episode, though. And when I say impressive, I mean kind of crazy.
1: I think he owned it. He does. I think it's one of those things that you go all out. Yes. Well, I do think
2: it's interesting how, once again, Vex kind of made this transition, like he does early in the series, from very sadistic villain to doing eye makeup with Kenzie in season three, but now he's an opportunity, and he's back to his badass self in the beginning of season one. So I I like seeing that side, that he was still opportunistic, that he is still a villain, that he still doesn't have a lot of morals. He's like, okay, I'll just keep everybody with their memory loss because I want this power. I've never had it. But then for him to kind of just get accepted and kind of go down to like, oh, he's a buddy again was kind of an interesting journey now that you bring it up. I still think he's very capable of causing trouble in season five. And I I think sometimes that kind of gets lost a bit with Vex, that he's still very much a quote-unquote morally gray bad guy. Um, I like seeing that side of him reemerge.
3: Morally charcoal gray. But, I mean, don't you think (laughs) it could have turned out differently by the end of the season had Kenzie not basically called him inherently evil. She says something about how she needs his help. She needs the real Vex, referring to him being villainous. Because previous to that, he'd had that sort of heart-to-heart with Trick, where Trick was sort of telling him that he could be good.
1: I think that was just Trick manipulating him. Oh, I'm not saying
3: it's not, but don't you think that Vex was maybe buying it to some extent until... He was trying to be buddy-buddy with Kenzie, and Kenzie's like, no, I need you to be the real you, which is an evil kind of guy.
2: Yeah, I I think that there's a part of Vex that would like to take a chance and make the better choice, but I still think it's overridden by centuries of being sadistic and looking out for himself and being an SOB, and only recently having been introduced to this dysfunctional family of Beau and Kenzie, and, you know, the Light fay and having to interact with them in a different way. You know, but I, I still think he's the, that other sadistic side is going to eventually win. It'll be good if they explore that more in Season 5, as they do with all the characters, the morally gray sides.
0: Do you think that learning about Vex's history with his family, do you think that helped at all in explaining why Bo was willing to sort of take him on as a pet and and bring him back into the fold? Of course. I think she's a softie. Well, yeah, it's true. Bo is a softie. Because we did get that bit of information about his family as well as some information about his relationship with, with Massimo. Uh, so, we got a lot, quite a bit. I think this is the most we've gotten as far as Vex's backstory has been in season four. Oh, yeah. But, I, yeah, I, I just, the whole, we've mentioned before when we talked about Massimo that we, we wish that that piece of, uh, that relationship had been teased out a little better and hadn't just been brought in for one episode. It was just convenient. Yeah. It was plot convenience. But I think it could have been an interesting little storyline for Vex had, had they pursued it a little bit longer term but it was just, yeah, it was just used more like plot convenience which was a little annoying
2: Too much thrown in there to properly explain at the end
3: So Walbush says Vex wants to have morals he just gets distracted sometimes
1: I think Vex thinks he wants to have morals and then as soon as he gets them he realizes how inconvenient they are Probably true
2: Yeah, not for me I like having fun napping people's necks better that's that's just easier.
0: I think I think Vex wants to have closer, more intimate relationships, but he doesn't necessarily like the morality stuff that goes along with that. Because <laughs> he does seem to really possible. enjoy his relationship with Kenzie. You know, he seems to enjoy having relationships, at least talking relationships with, like, Bo Dyson and Lauren. So he likes having those connections with people, but the whole idea of doing the right things in order to keep them. It doesn't interest him as much. Mm -hmm. That concludes the second part of our season four review. Again, you can listen to the first part of the season four review over at com slash 47. Part three will be released shortly. It will talk about the big bads of the season as well as the themes. But let us know what you thought about the character arts for each of these main characters in season four. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at drinksatthedoll.com 48. Or you could send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com. You can also send us a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail tab that's on the right hand side of the page over on the website. I'm so glad you could join us for drinks at the doll. My name is Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers.